welcome to Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. Now here's your host, Dr. Katrina Forseth, a missionary serving as state director of CEF of Illinois. When you hear the word revival, what comes to your mind? I remember last summer I was driving to southern Illinois to pick up children to take them to our camp. On my way, I passed a church with a big white tent sitting out on the front lawn with a large billboard sign that said, Revival Here, and it even gave the date. My first thought as I drove by was, wow, this church is a happening church. They have a big tent and a billboard revival sign. This church must be on fire with the gospel. But then a second thought crossed my mind. I said, wait a second, where are the people? Because when I drove by, there was nobody there. Without people, you cannot have revival. Revival and God's people go together, which are both grounded on God's word. And that's true of the greatest revival recorded for us in scripture that took place over 2,500 years ago that's found in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah 8, there are three main groups of people involved in this revival, the leader, the teachers, and the people. The leader, of course, is Nehemiah, the governor. The teachers include Ezra, who is the scribe and priest, and also the Levites, who are like the teaching Levites. And then there was the people, including men, women, and children, the Bible says, all who could hear with understanding. In order for this revival to take root, all the above needed to know the book, know their place, and know their God. First of all, they needed to know the book. The leader, Nehemiah, he knew the book. It's clear from all that we've covered so far that Nehemiah was not just the king's cupbearer or the appointed wall builder or now the governor of the land. Nehemiah was God's leader, but he also knew this book. The setting for Nehemiah chapter 8 is actually Nehemiah chapter 7, where God put it on Nehemiah's heart to gather the people together in Jerusalem to take a registry of the people. But where did Nehemiah get this idea to do that? From God's word, specifically in Ezra chapter 2, that was a record of the first group of people who came to Jerusalem over 90 years before. But do you know what is recorded next in Ezra chapter 3 that Nehemiah most likely not only knew but also read? That these same people who were part of the first return from Babylon to Jerusalem 90 years ago were gathered together on the seventh month for a solemn assembly to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now go back to Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. In other words, this gathering wasn't just mere happenstance. It was planned. Their leader, Nehemiah, was led by God, nudged by God, put on Nehemiah's heart by God to gather God's people together specifically on the seventh month, which was the high month of solemn assembly and a celebration of an upcoming feast that was established by God. So where did Nehemiah get this idea to do all this gathering of the seventh month? From God's word, because Nehemiah knew this book. If only our leaders today would know this book, obey this book, apply this book, what a difference it would be in our communities, our cities, our state, our country, and the world. Our leaders, whether in the church or in the community, both secular and sacred, need to know this book. But Nehemiah wasn't the only one who knew this book. The teachers, Ezra the scribe and priest, and the Levites, the teaching Levites, they knew the book. Ezra was a direct descendant, actually, from the lineage of Aaron, the first high priest. Of course he knew the book. If you want to learn more about Ezra, who was a contemporary of Nehemiah, who came 13 years before Nehemiah arrived and led the second return group of people from Babylon to Jerusalem, I would encourage you to read, actually, the book of Ezra, but in particular, Ezra chapter 7. 
Ezra 7 verse 10 is one of my favorite verses that talks about the role, the importance of the teacher. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra studied God's word. He applied God's word and he taught God's word in that order. In other words, Ezra never taught others what he did not seek to study and apply to his own life first. Ezra was a teaching priest, a teaching pastor. He loved to study, apply, and teach others this book. But also the Levites that I call the teaching Levites knew the book. When Ezra stood up upon the platform of wood before the people in verse 4, who was standing right there alongside of him on his right hand and on his left? It was his fellow Levites with lots of names I can't pronounce. And what was the specific role of these Levites? The text tells us that it was the teaching Levites job to teach the people God's word. Three times in verses 7, 8, and 12, it says the Levites role was to cause the people to understand the law, the reading, the very words that were declared unto them. In other words, it wasn't just Ezra who taught the people. It was also the Levites. The teaching Levites were not the main teacher, the one up on the wooden platform standing with the open scripture laying on the pulpit. The teaching Levites were like small group discussion leaders, Sabbath Sunday school teachers, or community Bible study leaders who went out among the people group by group and even city by city and taught the people God's word. Teaching this book to others was their job from God to do. I love it. If anything we learn from the teaching Levites, it is that we need more, not less, teaching Levites today, not only in the church, but also to go out into the community and take God's word to others. The leaders knew the book, the teachers knew the book, but there was another group who wanted to know the book, and that was the people. Look again what it says in verse 1. It says, And they, the people, spoken to Ezra the scribe to bring the book, the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. The people had one request, one cry. They said, Bring us the book. You know, I often find myself praying for revival to sweep across our land because it breaks my heart to see how far we as a nation have walked away from God in just a few generations. But there will be no revival in this land until God's people get serious about their relationship with God when they get serious about this book. And that's because revivals, including God's people and God's word, go together. The sign for revival doesn't lie on the front lawn with a big church sign that says revival here. It begins when God's people long for this book more than anything else, and it becomes their one consuming cry, their one consuming passion and longing, saying to their leaders and teachers, bring us the book. The people long for this book so much, the Bible says they were even willing to stand up to six hours as Ezra and the Levites read and taught the scriptures to them. That's how much the people longed for and wanted to know this book. But what about you? What about me? Do we as God's people long for this book? Or are we more excited about checking out social media, chatting with our friends, or surfing the internet? I have a friend who said, we need to get our face off of Facebook and get our face in the book. We need to take in God's word as many ways that we can. It's not just a checkoff box that we do on Sundays. We need to hear God's word. We need to read God's word and study God's word, but not be content to just to stop there. We need to go on to memorize God's word, putting God's word, hiding God's word in our heart and our life so that we can then what? Meditate on God's word morning, noon, and night. That's how much we as a people need to long for this book. I don't mean to heap on any guilt trip, but the history of revivals in Nehemiah chapter 8 teach us this, that revivals do not happen in a vacuum among God's people. God's people not only need to know the book, but also they need to know their place.
This is just a quick observation when I was looking at this text, but I was struck with something that this revival in Nehemiah 8 was a team effort with everyone knowing their place. The leader, Nehemiah, knew he was the governor, but he also knew he was not Ezra, the scribe and priest. Nehemiah was not a one-person show. He understood he needed to move over and let Ezra, the scribe and priest, have his place. In the same way, the teachers, Ezra and the teaching Levites, they also knew their place. Ezra's place may have been the one out front reading the scripture, but he also knew he needed the help of many others. The Levites, on the other hand, were to be in a support role, standing right next to Ezra, but also were to be out there among the people, leading various breakout groups, teaching, explaining, and applying God's word to the people. The leader, the teachers had their place, but what about the people? What was their place? In verses 1 through 4, the people, it says that the men, women, and children gathered together to hear God's word. It was the people who had the longing desire saying, bring us the book. And then in verse 5, when the book was read, the people stood to show reverence, not to Ezra, but to God's word being open. And the people signaled that by standing, they were ready to receive it. In verse 6, when Ezra prayed and blessed the Lord, the people bowed their head, not just to nod along in agreement, but to worship God. In verses 7 through 11, when God's word was taught, explained, and applied, the people visibly responded to God's word, at first with sorrow for their sin, and then with great joy. Then in verse 12, the people didn't want to keep this joy to themselves. They went out and shared with others so that why? So that others would understand God's word and know the joy of the Lord too. So what's the people's place in the revival? It was everything. No, the people were not the leader. They were not the main teachers. But the whole point of the revival and everything that was done by the leader and the teachers was for the people and then for the people to go out and share with others so others would understand God's word and know the joy of the Lord. So what does Nehemiah 8 teach us about revivals? That revivals do not come from a fiery preacher or some great sermon preach. Revivals come as God goes before to prepare his people to long for his word, to receive his word, to respond, apply his word, and then go and share God's word with others. Revivals happen when God is working in and through his people by his word. When all the people, the leaders, the teachers, and the people, both big and small, all together know the book, know their place, they also know their God. What do the people exactly understand that day about God? They understood more fully who God is, that God is holy. They understood that they were sinners and deserved nothing but God's judgment because they had broken God's law. But they also understood that they could be in a right relationship with holy God, not because of them, but all because of God's mercy. The people understood that they could be in a right relationship with God by trusting in God's provided way through faith in the promised one who was to come. And that's why the people could leave, not in sorrow, but in joy, and then go out and share with others because they knew their God. Recently, a testimony was shared by a CF worker in Georgia about the impact of the gospel through a Christmas party club and how a mother came to Christ. The mother attended the Christmas party club along with her child, but when the mother heard the message taught from God's word, she understood that she was a sinner and needed to know God. She went home, but the next day was Sunday morning, and she couldn't just sit at home. She needed to go and find how she could be in a right relationship with God. So she started to drive around and went to one church. But there was no Jesus there, so she left and kept driving. She came to a second church, but there was no Jesus there. She went to a third church, but there was no Jesus there. So she drove to a fourth church, and she saw Jesus and went in. 
The people in the pastor were in the middle of the service, but the woman wanted to know God, so she walked right up front and told the people her story, and the pastor and the people stopped and gathered around her and shared with her all about Jesus, and the woman believed and trusted in Christ. The woman then went back and told the CF worker what had happened, but the worker had one question. The worker asked, when you drove around to the different churches, how did you know where Jesus was? The woman said in her southern drawl, Georgian accent, because he was laying on the lawn. She was talking about baby Jesus in the nativity scene because it was Christmas. The point isn't about seeing Jesus in the Christmas nativity scene. The point is this, can other people see Jesus in you? Is Jesus laying on your lawn? Is Jesus laying on the lawn of your face? Is Jesus laying on the lawn of your life? Do people see in you that you know your God and that you know the joy of the Lord? What about in our churches? Whether you're a leader, one of the teachers, or part of the people, is Jesus laying on your church lawn? Do people know that in this place, among this people, that we know this book and we know our God? When it comes to revival, everyone, whether you're a leader, teacher, or the people, have a part to play. The root of the revival is that God's people know the book, know our place, and know our God. But the fruit of revival is that Jesus will be laying on our lawn. We simply need to go out and share the joy of Jesus with others, or like the woman in the church, just welcome them in and share Jesus with them. Why? So that others too can know the joy of the Lord because they know this book, they know their place, and they know their God. The bottom line is that revivals, including God's people and God's word, go together. You can't have one without the other. Thanks again for listening to Telling Future Generations, and we hope you join us again next week. Thank you for joining us today for Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. To learn how you can partner with Child Evangelism Fellowship to reach children in your community, please call 309-688-9699 or visit cefofillinois.com. Please join us again next week at the same time for Telling Future Generations. So please.